welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, where we have real conversations with men and women pursuing Jesus and learn more about how God equips his people for his purposes here on earth. Well, I'm here with, with Zeb. I want to give Zeb a chance to introduce himself. So Zeb, tell the people who you are. Hey, I'm Zeb Fenimore. I am a youth minister here at Northview. I've grown up at this church, uh, but I started being a youth minister here about five years ago. I am currently 25, and I started seriously following Jesus around my 18th year on this earth. <laughs> the 18th year on this earth. I like that. Uh, let's see. We, so we've known each other since you were in high school. Yeah. Roughly. Mm-hmm. High school Zeb, different than adult Zeb, Absolutely. different than ministry Zeb. Definitely. Um, take us through a little bit of that that journey of not even all the way through to today, but where you were in high school and then kind of what happened during those couple of years that, you know, towards the end of high school and when you, when you disappeared on us for a bit. Yeah. So essentially for me, uh, my family was Christian and what that looked like was uh, mainly Christian morality. And I, wasn't into partying, wasn't into drugs, wasn't into drinking, but my vice was uh, girls growing up, dating girls, uh, relationship with girls. And essentially that all came to a head um, of destruction when I was in uh, my sophomore year. Had a really intimate relationship with girlfriend. We broke up, it destroyed me. I didn't want to play video games anymore because it just made my sadness even more. All my friends continued wanting to play video games. So I started going to other places to look for fellowship, to look for healing, and I came to the church. So, you know, I I think that was my sophomore year. So my junior and senior year, I started coming to church more, but I was still on and off, standoffish. I was not following the way of Jesus by any means. Um, And then I randomly went to a Bible school because I didn't want to do schoolwork called called Bible College. And it changed my life. I started wrestling with Jesus there. I started living Jesus's way of life there. And after I came back two years later, uh, I had become begun to become a different person. And that's when I started working at Northfield. What what do you think it was as you look back at that breakup and you say, you know, girls were your vice, followed probably secondary by video games. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But when that relationship ended and everything, like video games didn't didn't do it, nothing was working, you know, you say you came to church for kind of healing almost, but not really being active before then. What do you think it was that motivated you or brought you to come into you know the body of christ in that season totally yeah very odd i think it was partially because i had grown up so it was a grow up here so it was a place that i knew of right Mm -hmm. uh that there was people there other people that i could interact with i just felt better here i just felt progress here uh progressing through my pain i guess 
just being here at the church. You know, looking back, I would maybe even use language of maybe it was the Spirit of God um, dwelling here and then me entering into that and God's Spirit just healing me slowly. Um, but I, I still remember Brooks was the youth minister here. And I said to him, dude, we got to do more stuff. We got we to gotta have like some sort of event every day of the week during the summer so that people have more stuff to do. And uh, it's so funny reflecting on that as youth minister now because obviously that's impossible. <laughs> um, but I was just so serious about spending more time with these Christian people because it helped me sort through my pain. That's cool. And it's wonderful to have a spot to do that. You mentioned Brooks, and, and when you look back on that high school career in particular, and then even that transition to Bible school, who were some of the people that were encouraging to you, or maybe even like you look back and like, oh, that person was a mentor in different areas as you're kind of really wrestling through a lot and trying to figure out yeah. what anything is? Yeah, on the North Keith front, Brooks was the guy I would talk to and I think at the time I mainly just enjoyed him. I think I just felt cool spending time with an older person. And that, that was, yeah. Uh, but it was so funny because I went to Bothell High School, public school, big public school. And my counselor, uh, what was the guy's name? I can't, I can't remember his name. Ron Stewart. There you go. And I, because they have counselors that kind of help you plan out your academic life you meet with them they, they help you figure out what you're going to do and randomly he brought up to me ecola bible college and he pulls it up on a screen and there's a picture of a bonfire on the coastline and i thought dude i want to go there <laughs> just because there's bonfires on the coastline and because i knew i wouldn't have to do a bunch of homework there and i didn't want to go to college somewhere else because i didn't want to do homework um so that was like the entry point of that. And then there, it was a, a season away from the community that I was entrenched in here, which not my closest friends, none of them followed Jesus or his way of life. They all were pursuing the same path of just pain that I was pursuing at the time. And so I stepped away from that community and entered into this different community that was pursuing Jesus to learn about Jesus, to learn about what he had on offer. And it, just started changing my life. Um, yeah, I think one of the hugest influences was this, the director of Ecole Bible College, who's still, still there today. His name is Josh Duff. Um, yeah, I, yeah, huge impact on my life. I would say it sounds like too that one of the big impacts is, you know, God works through pain in pretty incredible ways. Yeah. But like this, this hurtful detrimental relationship and it kind of crashing and burning was really like the catalyst oh, for totally. stepping into a new way of life, which then encouraged you kind of towards your, your second main mentor after like individual people, which is like church community yeah. and just being able to, to be here. And I'll remember, um, I have memories of, of high school Zeb showing up and really just want to play ping pong, but just running around all crazy, but just, you could tell finding a home and, it's, it's just incredible as we look back and we see how God works through pain to bring us to his His family, his people. Um, and then how that community encouraged you really to, to pursue what was next. And tell me a little bit about E. Cola. What's different about it 
or what was gravitating? Because you did you did two years. Yep. Most people do. It's a, a year. yeah. The second year is optional. So what was that like? I mean, you you shared it was a random connect. <laughs> you just happened to go. It had bonfires on the beaches and little homework. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is pretty appealing. Uh, uh, but what was your experience there like? Yeah, my so my parents, my older siblings. Uh, did not have a lot of trust with my parents, and I was a lot less worse than them, so I had a lot of trust with my parents. A lot less worse, I like that. Uh, and so they gave me a lot of freedom. And then the transition to going to this Bible school felt, my first quarter there felt like I was in a prison. I remember coming home and complaining to all of my family, which I am shocked no one replied and just said I was being dumb, uh, but everybody just listened to me complaining about how Ecola was a prison because they had a curfew at 12. <laughs> and I had to be on my dorm or in my dorm at 12. And I would show up at like 12.05 and I'd get a demerit. And I, like, I had the most demerits. I had like more demerits than like all the students combined by like the first quarter's finish. It was, yeah. I just got, yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, over time, well, something happened where, I, you know, I can't accredit it to anything except for God's spirit just changed something in my heart and mind. And I started to want to be there. I started to want to learn as much as I could. I started to, to uh, want to be a part of the community. Like, yeah, a whole mind shift, mental shift. Um, and yeah, from there, it just built and built. But as far as the school, it's at Canopy to Oregon. Uh, you have class two times a day for five days of the week. I think maybe Friday you just have a morning class and then you do an evening test. Um, but each week you have two different professors come in and they teach you a different subject, whether it be a book of the Bible or a thing about Christian living or like youth ministry. And they teach you that whole week about the subject. And then next week, if you don't like your teacher, that's fine because you have a brand new teacher. There we go. Uh, and so because of that, it, you get a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different pastors, ideas, experiences, um, a lot of different churches and churches, church traditions are coming to teach you. And uh, on top of that, you have a, a, this prayer group that you meet with weekly. And it's sort of an accountability group as well. Um, you eat food with each other. Yeah, you do ministry with each other while you're there. It's three quarters, and you have a summer break, and then you come back for second year, which is even smaller class. Uh, just like the select students that registered, but also showed commitment the first year. Um, yeah, and second year, because I hated reading, I hated learning, uh, but this like transformation of following Jesus just sparked new things in me. And so now I, I became a reader at Ecola. I became a learner at Ecola, and I started cherishing every class, um, especially second year that I started taking off. I started reading, and I had, hadn't read a book since, like, middle school. Um, yeah, and that's carried on to today, uh, seven years later. Yeah, that's one of the things that, for people that don't know you, like, these days, you could very easily be labeled as, like, an academic mind. And, I mean, you're soaking it. I don't even know. I don't even know if you would be able to know how many books you've read like in the last year of life. Um, but what was it like? So obviously a big part of a Bible school is engagement with the word of God and studying. Um, and I, 
I could see for stu some students that becomes purely academic focused, like how we even see a lot of people today of check the box to, to fit the requirement. What was the transition like for you of the Bible having not really engaged with it much growing up to now it being a pretty key textbook in school to then foundational moving forward in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I It's hard for me to like recognize what the mental shift was for me then besides uh, as my interest in and desire to be at the school increased, so did my desire to read the Bible. And, you know, the classes have assignments of like, hey, read this, read, we're going to read the book of Psalms this week. I don't know if I finished that assignment. Um, or, hey, we're going to read this letter because that's what we're talking about this week, or we're going to read this gospel. So there's assignments that push, spurred that. There's other people around me that are trying to read the Bible, so having a community of people that are reading and talking with each other about it spurred forward me to want to read more. Um but yeah, that was like my entryway. And there was just things that I found in there that were just radically changing the way I viewed myself, God, and the world. Uh, a little a little sneak peek was when I read Hosea for the first time. And it's the story about this prophet, the spokesperson for God, who marries a woman named Gomer, who's a prostitute. And she continues, even though uh, Hosea provides everything for her, she still goes out and prostitutes herself um, for more income and just out of her own desire. And Hosea has to go back and continue to redeem her and pull her out of that when she gets stuck in it. And uh, this is the woman that God wants Hosea, his spokesperson, to marry. And it's this illustration of how God feels, of how... Uh, what Israel has been doing, or in my case, how I've lived my life, actually provokes deep wounds in God, deep pain and emotion within God, um, as Hosea likely felt. And so it like blew up this I, realization that God feels. And how I live affects God. Uh, sometimes even hurts God. And so things like that uh, just were profound to me and made me want to keep reading. Seems like a huge benefit of a program like that is the break away from the everyday, from the distraction, like to use your word, uh, vices, yeah. and to be in that community where everyone's spurring each other on. And then, you know, we begin to see, as the Bible talks about itself being used for teaching, like Paul says, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Mm. And like as a young man, you definitely saw that come true. Yeah, and absolutely. those different areas and highlighting the way you're living and how that affects affects God. And what interesting, I don't feel like that's probably a story that is on top people's list as the transformation story of Scripture. <laughs> but I always I always tell people that the Bible can change your life with a single verse, mm. and every story in it can can demonstrate our need for a Savior. Mm. regardless of, of where it is. And that just shows another tremendous example of that. So as you left E. Cola, we'll catch up in time a little bit. Um, where has God led you today? What is what is life for Zeb? You've been uh, in your role something like five years. How, how has God led you to where you are today? 
Yeah, I actually just read the my bio that we have on Northview's website, <laughs> uh, and it was something that I typed up then. Um, a youth minister position opened up, a part-time middle school director position opened up at Northview. Me and Brooks joked about me taking that the job. I had like six months of schooling left, and I ended up having some interviews, and uh, Northview ended up wanting to have me work here. Um, and when people asked me why I wanted to do what I was doing, the best answer I had then, and I still am okay with this answer, is this is just the capacity that I am choosing to love my neighbor in. And that's what I have written on my bio. I am, I'm here to love my neighbors, and I'm currently fulfilling that um, heartbeat of Jesus by loving middle schoolers well. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what got me here. And the longer I've worked with middle schoolers, the more I've come to love middle schoolers and just see an incredible value in, uh, having them in my life and also being a part of their lives. Yeah. That's kind of a crazy story of you coming. I mean, we work on a staff, we joke about all the time of no one planning on ministry and everyone has very different stories and the job that became available for you to step into was had been mine for mm -hmm. for a couple of years before that in a different type and so being able to bring you on academy cole was was wonderful uh, what is it about the middle school age group that you have grown so fond of yeah uh i i believe middle schoolers uh are beautiful uh they're just at this beautiful age that still has innocence. Uh, many of them aren't too cool to be here. Um, they aren't trying to be the cool kid, the popular kid. They have this innocence that seeps through them. But they're also uh, starting to think. And they're also starting to wonder. And they're starting to look. And they're starting to be able to have conversations that are a little bit more deep than like a fourth grader or a fifth grader. Um, and it feels like this crucial moment that is going to set the trajectory at least of their next five to seven years of their life. And I'm able to come in at that moment in their life and show them what Jesus has on offer and invite them into that. And I'm glad to be a part of that moment, um, to put that on offer before them and allow them to choose what way they want to go with the next few years of their life. How do you think, if you look back, how do you think, how have you seen God equipping you for this season of middle school ministry? Yeah, I, I actually think about this kind of often. Uh, and I think I actually was just thinking about it this morning, maybe yesterday, uh, how I have such a strange variety of things I enjoy. Um, I like video games. I like reading. I like anime. Um, I like sports or, and I'm semi-athletic. I uh, like outdoors. It's all these odd things that I've come to like, particularly like anime and video games. <laughs> um, but it allows me to connect with people I, I enjoy running. That's another one. Um, but it allows me to connect with people on so many different levels. Like, it, it seems like um, God has 
brewed these things within me to prepare me for this time. So now I interact with the middle schooler and I connect with them about anime or manga, or I connect with them about the cross country team that they're on, or I connect with them about uh, like this game, this video game or something like a video game that we'll play with each other, or I connect with them in playing sports with them. Uh, and it just feels that like God has given me this diverse pool, diverse but shallow pool of, uh, I don't know, talent, experience, whatever, that has just been nothing but helpful in connecting on a relational level with, with youth. Uh, God has, as I've thought about it more, God has absolutely equipped me for relationship with students uh, through those things. For all the hours that I watched Naruto. <laughs> There's benefit in the end. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you have to students that enjoy these types of things, um, many of which are similar to what you enjoyed growing up, but for you became a vice? Totally. And how would you encourage students that, you know, what's the balance of pursuing Jesus, but also being able to engage in these, these hobbies? Yeah. Um, if someone ever had questioned me and said like, yo, dude, you need to be able to, to like control yourself with playing video games or said something along those lines, I would have been like, what are you talking about? I can totally control myself. I can quit whenever I want. Um, funny enough, that's what addicts say. I, yeah, how would I encourage people? It's difficult because uh, I'm a personality that's very addictive and I I know a lot of gamers actually are a lot like me. And um, the thing that was so difficult about video games is that I couldn't desire anything else when I was playing them. I couldn't desire to go outside. I couldn't desire to read or to read my Bible or to spend time with my family or to eat a meal with my family or to go to church or to do anything. And if I ever did do something else, all I desired was to go back and play more video games. The way I think about it today is that video games consumed all my desire. 100% of my desire was consumed. And I, I still feel that today. I still desire to play video games. And sometimes I do, but I also recognize when that happens, I don't actually get to do the things that I truly want to do because I no longer desire to do them. Um, yeah, for a lot of people, it would probably just be helpful to set apart time for playing and to limit yourself with that set apart time. Uh, frankly, playing video games every day, regardless of how much you play, is too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is very little that you do every single day besides probably playing video games yeah. <laughs> if you're a gamer. Um, and another realization that I've had over the years is what you do with your time affects more than just the few moments that, for instance, that you're playing video game. Because, for instance, for me, if I play two hours of a video game, I think about it for the next week. So it doesn't just affect those two hours. It actually affected a whole week worth of time. Um, yeah, it's important to recognize these things and to, important to recognize how much something is consuming you and whether that is truly where you want to spend your time. It sounds like an opportunity too to be developing a disciplined oh, yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. Put, like, 
to put limits on yourself is not no. a bad thing. And yeah. I think, oh, I really like what you said. And when we engage in whatever activity, it's not restricted to that time and being aware of kind of the ripple effect into all areas of our life. And I mean, we've all seen, especially like viewing professional sports, like how many people watch a football game on a Sunday, mm-hmm. their team loses and the rest of their week is just mm-hmm. ruined because they're bitter and angry of something that really doesn't matter, especially in their life. Yeah. Uh, but living this disciplined life and being able to to set things aside, which is a clear connects to the more time we spend in fellowship with believers, the more time we spend engaged in God's word, the more time we spend in prayer. Like we realize that the affection of our time starts to impact absolutely all areas of our life, and that that can carry out yeah. as well. I mean, how many times have we had prayer times or silence times or or reading and, and devotional times that those thoughts stay with us throughout the week. And that can be uh, incredibly, incredibly life-giving. Yeah. I, um, you made me think of this. This is so important to recognize where we spend our time is who we are going to become. And so who are you becoming? Likely a lot of us are becoming garbage pro gamers. (laughs) Um, yeah. Where are you spending your time and who are you becoming? That's, that's very important to see. And, you know, Paul says in Galatians, it's for freedom that you've been set free. And it's important that we don't go and enslave ourselves with our freedom. So, you know, maybe this language doesn't land for everybody, but Bible language, I was enslaved to video games. It controlled me. It changed my appetite. It changed my mind. Uh, and it has been a slow process coming out of that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's we, as we talk about pursuing Jesus and, and the life that he has for us and living Jesus's way, that's where we start to see that is that's what we, if we're spending our time on studying who Jesus is and what he desires of his people, that that begins to be who we are and it's become second nature, it becomes natural. And all of a sudden we realize this, this sanctification process, this discipleship process, like we're engaged with it and it's, it's real and it's active in, in our lives. So who is who has Jesus become to you in this this kind of seven eight nine year discipleship of seven Jesus? Who has Jesus become in your life? Yeah, I, I mean the best I can reply is with adjectives or titles. Um, Jesus as Messiah has become super important to me. Uh, which, I mean, that's what Christ means. But for me, Messiah connects it to the whole story, the whole two-thirds of the Bible that leads up to this need for a Messiah. Jesus, specifically as my teacher, uh, the one, he, he's my rabbi. So he teaches me not only what is good, but also what the good life is and who the truly good person is. And so he is still radically transforming how I view what the good life is and who the good person is and what is actually good. Um, I mean, I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you boil down Messiah, teacher, rabbi, like that begins to, to demonstrate this, this all encompassing lifestyle of following Jesus on to speak into every area. Yeah, actually it makes me think of another, another thing. Uh, I also see Jesus, this happened as I was reading the Gospels. And I was seeing how Jesus was interacting with the religious elite of his day. And I realized 
holy cow, this guy is so brilliant. This guy is so intelligent. The way that he maneuvers and the way that he responds to these religious people's traps is beyond brilliant. And that, that was the beginning of me gaining massive respect for Jesus and wanting to become more like him. Uh, so that's another thing of who Jesus has become to me. He has become, yes, my Messiah, yes, my teacher, but he is also this brilliant, humble man that I actually am compelled to follow, that I desire to follow. I don't feel like I have to follow him, but I feel compelled to follow him because of who I see him as. What do you think God is is leaning into you to learn and embrace this new season? I mean, you, you've been here. I've been at Northview for a number of years. You're married, which is exciting. Um, where do you think God is leading Zeb into the future? Yeah, it feels like I'm supposed to be here. Like I said earlier, I love um, inviting students into Aubrey and I's life, my wife, um, but also partaking in their own lives. That... Um, feels like I'm discipling people here. And that feels really meaningful to me. But as far as what Jesus is pressing into me today, what the Father is teaching me, is to remain humble and to pursue humility and to stay grounded, uh, which isn't to self-deprecate, but to find, to recognize who I actually am. And to be okay with that. And to not need to look or sound like someone else. Or to be elevated by people's words. But to just be okay and content with the station and authority and gifts that God has given me. Um, yeah, just the other day in the car. Me and God were talking and he was just pushing on to me. Remain humble, Zeb. So I'm going towards humility. There you go. Zeb Fenimore, the called to steadfastness, humility-rooted discipleship maker, mm. engaging with students where they're at, learning from his own life, his own walk with Jesus, his own vices mm. to encourage students to a better way of living, of engaging, and loving. Doug, I wrote your new bio for you. <laughs> Get that typed up. <laughs> uh, anything else that you want to share along this idea of just how God has equipped us, the power of his word, um, anything about encouraging others to pursue Jesus, kind of this is the this is the epilogue yeah. to your your life. Yeah, this hopefully this doesn't sound too provocative. Uh, I guess it's okay if it does. It's important to recognize it's important that people recognize that Jesus forces no one to follow him. A lot of us feel like we have to because we've grown up in Christianity or because our parents do. And uh, I think that works until you're about 19. And then it gets really difficult. It's important uh, that you recognize that people do say no to Jesus. Um. To me, Jesus is compelling. 
What he sees as good, I am compelled by. What he sees as a good life, I am compelled by. What he sees as a good person, I am compelled by. And that is why I follow Jesus. Not because I have to. Not because someone's forcing me to. It's up to you to seek out if Jesus is compelling to you or not. May it be so. Well, that seems like a pretty solid point, encouragement, uh, divine challenge (laughs) for others to hear and try to live out. Um, Zeb, thank you for sharing your, your heart, your love for the Lord, your love for people, especially students. It's wonderful to see and in a non too cheesy way, may God continue to use you to, to impact this this new generation of Christ followers who are they are not the future of the church. They they are the church. Hmm. And continue to lead them well. Yeah, thanks man. Talking about some of this stuff almost made me want to cry. There you go. Just remembering uh, God's power and work in my life. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs>